0: Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protectinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. On tap today, there's ytrium, something inter- about... Ytrium, rubidium, red bull and uh, some bull and then we'll talk about dietary supplements we'll take a look at the recent advice from the world health organization about non-sugar sweeteners and we'll even take a look at tarantulas that's all on the dr joe show coming up today but first back to last week when i finally did get a Question answered just at the bell Uh, about a 42 year old man experiencing fatal cardiac arrhythmia after repeated purposeful exposure to difluoroethane. And the question that I asked is what consumer product was he using as a source of this chemical? Well, the answer, which I finally got after some tooth pulling, was that it was a pressurized duster. Intended for the removal of dust and lint, uh, usually from computer equipment, and uh, difluoroethane is used as a propellant. And uh, inhaling such stuff is not a good idea. Uh, it is something that is uh, uh, often called huffing. Um, inhalant abuse is what it is. And it's become a common practice, unfortunately, among some teenagers. It involves inhaling or huffing fumes from your everyday round the mill household products, uh, such as, uh, as I said, the, uh, the cleaner or from glue or paint. And uh, the huffing produces a high that is similar to the effects of alcohol. And for some people, this can seem appealing for the simple fact that the products are easy to obtain and the effect on the brain is immediate. But uh, unbeknownst to most users, there's a problem. The inhalants contain a plethora of chemicals, all of which absorb into the lungs and then distribute through the body. Some leave the body quite rapidly. Others, however, remain there for longer periods. The high is felt almost instantly, And the user may begin to experience slurred speech and lack of coordination, dizziness, feelings of elation, similar to alcohol. Unlike alcohol, however, inhalants do much more extensive and long-term damage to the body. They have the capacity to break down myelin, that's the protective sheath that surrounds nerves and the myelin sheath is imperative to proper functioning for it helps the nerve fibers relay information to and from the brain. Multiple sclerosis, MS, for example, is a disease caused by damage to the myelin. The effects of huffing and its inability of the nerves to carry information to the brain can therefore produce similar damage to that which is characterized by MS. Muscle spasms, tremors, or even difficulty walking, bending, and talking could result. Long-term use of inhalants can also cause heart failure, liver damage, and muscle weakness. The fumes can also cause permanent damage to the brain and spinal cord. Furthermore, one's ability to solve complex problems and think ahead is also affected due to the damage done to the cerebral cortex. Butane, another type of inhalant found in cigarette lighters and refills, Makes the heart extra sensitive to noradrenaline, the chemical responsible for telling the heart to beat faster in a stressful situation. When this oversensitivity occurs, however, a normal jolt of noradrenaline may cause the heart to temporarily shift its rhythm and consequently stop pumping blood through the body. This often proves fatal for inhalant users, such as was the case for the 42 year old man who i said experienced fatal cardiac arrhythmia after he was inhaling difluoroethane from one of these duster concoctions that comes in a spray can do not take one of these or butane and spray it into a bag and put the bag over your head this is a decidedly bad idea it can cause death So that's why I asked that question, because I wanted to get this information across. All right, let's get down to today's questions. Here are a couple. What herbal supplement, the name of which derives from the Sanskrit for horse and smell, because the root has a strong horse-like smell, was recently banned in Denmark because of negative effects on thyroid and sex hormones? what is that herbal supplement that is actually very popular you see it in all the health food stores here and the second question completed in 2019 the twins study featuring mark and scott kelly analyzed the effects on the body of long-term exposure to what okay so the twins study completed in 2019 featured mark and scott kelly and researchers analyze the effects on the body of long-term exposure to what if you know the answer to one or both of those questions or you have one of your own questions give us a call at 514-790-0800 you can also text your questions and comments to 514-800 and uh, talking about uh, questions uh, this morning on the trivia show, I asked one as I always do. And this is what I asked. In 2014, Red Bull settled a class action lawsuit for $13 million in the US. This lawsuit was launched by a New York customer who complained that a whimsical slogan used by Red Bull in its advertising misled customers into believing that the beverage had special energizing properties. And I wanted to know what that slogan was well the slogan was red bull gives you wings and new yorker benjamin carruthers complained that the slogan implied that red bull had some sort of special energizing properties and would increase the consumer's vitality and he said in fact the only stimulant in this beverage was caffeine and the amount was less than available from a cup of coffee and therefore it was illegitimate to advertise red bull as being some sort of uh, energetic uh, substance and uh, actually red bull gave into this although they never admitted any kind of liability their statement said that they recognize that litigation in the u.s is extremely expensive and that while they disagree with this class action lawsuit uh, it is uh, cheaper for them to come to a settlement than to go through the arduous litigation process so they put aside 13 million and uh, for anyone who wanted to be part of this class action lawsuit, all they had to do was send a note to Red Bull saying that within the past decade they had purchased some Red Bull product, and for this they would get a cash payment of ten dollars, until the total payout reached thirteen million. And uh, so that was that was it. Interesting kind of a, a lawsuit. Uh, was it a frivolous one? uh i think it probably was uh, because uh, i don't think anyone really uh, believed that uh, red bull gives you metaphorical wings Uh, there was one lawsuit against budweiser in the us that was even more ridiculous than this one where a gentleman actually sued the company saying that um he had been drinking uh, Bud Light, but he had not had any great experiences with women, contrary to what the ads seem to indicate, because the Budweiser ads show good-looking young women romping across beaches drinking Bud Light. And the customer claimed that he had been drinking plenty of Bud Light, but he had not been seeing plenty of good-looking young women uh, who were approaching him. Uh, As you can imagine, that lawsuit was thrown out of court. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll check traffic and be right back. A fabulous array of never ending searches on by men who dare and plan, making minor miracles from molecules for man. Well, uh, Drew uh, sent me an interesting uh, text message uh, about another sort of uh, strange lawsuit, Kellogg's. had a product that many of you will remember called fruit loops f-r-u-i-t and uh, a class action lawsuit was launched because uh, this implied that it was a fruit-based snack and this was misleading because there was actually no fruit in the product and then and finally there was a settlement out of court and uh, the result was that kellogg's changed the spelling from f-r-u-i-t to f-r-o-o-t fruit loops so while there still may be some loopery in this product uh, they now admit that there is no real fruit uh, in there only some f-r-o-o-t interesting also uh, a potential answer to the question i asked about the botanical supplement that was banned in denmark and other countries are looking at potentially banning it too it is not saw palmetto so you can rule that one out so we're looking for something else the root of which smells like horses other than saw palmetto so we have uh, that question still hanging out there uh, along with the other question about the twins study that featured mark and scott kelly analyze the effects on the body of long-term exposure to what 514-790-800 is number you can text your questions and comments to 514-800 if you want to see marketing hype in all its glory with its splendor of results. Just take a look at the world of dietary supplements. According to surveys, roughly half of all Canadians take some sort of dietary supplement. This multi-billion dollar industry offers thousands of different products that range from standard vitamins to extracts of esoteric plants, such as the one that I'm asking the question about. The expectation is that these supplements are safe and offer some sort of health benefit. But there are issues with both of these expectations. A health claim for a prescription drug requires evidence of efficacy as demonstrated by proper clinical trials. Dietary supplements, or natural health products as they are sometimes called, can be brought to market on the flimsiest sometimes non-existent evidence as long as there are no significant safety issues in many cases just one study or demonstration of traditional use is enough to gain approval with the plethora of studies being published these days one can always be found to back one up you know virtually any claim that though is not evidence at least not from a scientific point of view evidence comes from a preponderance of studies demonstrating a benefit that is what is required of prescription drugs why should there be a difference with supplements a claim whether for a drug or supplement should require evidence when it comes to safety it is true that prescription drugs can have all sorts of side effects but these are weighed against potential benefits however in the case of supplements If benefits have not been clearly demonstrated, side effects should be unacceptable. There are numerous cases of adverse effects linked to supplement use, including in some cases, serious liver or kidney injury. Labeling is another concern. When purchasing aspirin, if the label says 325 milligrams per tablet, that is what we get. If purchasing melatonin, for example, A dose may contain more or less than what the label says, or perhaps none at all. Nobody checks, except perhaps some consumer organizations. Unfortunately, the supplement industry is like the Old Wild West. Just about anything goes. Nonsensical gummies to boost vaginal health, or preposterous pills to flip your stem cell switch to on. And absurd homeopathic remedies sit alongside semi legitimate probiotics and legitimate vitamins. Greater effort has to be made to protect the public from wasting money on supplements that substitute hype and hope for uh, efficacy. All right, so as you know, I'm not a big fan of dietary supplements uh, because they mostly do not provide the evidence that. Should all right? I did have a correct answer to the twin study, and it had to do about the effects of weightlessness in outer space, and that of course is because Mark and Scott Kelly are astronauts, and they are identical twins, and while Scott was in space for a year, that's a long time to be spending aboard the. international space station mark was underground and the idea was to study any differences between the two and it turned out that there were some differences for example when scott came back to earth uh, he did not perform as well on some cognitive tests as he had done before going up Um, also the telomeres these are the sort of the endings on chromosomes and there's been a lot Talked and written about uh, these telomeres and how shortening them can have uh, uh, an effect on longevity, and it turned out that uh, there were some changes in the telomeres on Scott's uh, chromosomes and not on On Marks, but they were not highly significant. And anyway, uh, once uh, Scott got back to Earth, within a few months, everything sort of equalized and was the same as his brothers. Now, the reason that these studies are are important is because uh, NASA and other space agencies are looking forward to perhaps going to Mars. And there you're talking about uh, not just a few days of travel as was the case to go to the moon, Not even a year, as was the case for Scott Kelly, who orbited the Earth for a year. Uh, A trip to Mars is going to involve probably over two years uh, because it takes a long time to get there, a long time to get back, and you want to spend some time being there. So it's very important to know what the consequences are of weightlessness over such a long period of of time. And it's impossible to totally predict what might happen, and then of course there are all the social issues that arise of being locked in uh, in a space with just a few people, without uh, any you know <laughs> chance to go outside. But interesting enough, there are plenty of people who are willing to go and spend the two to three years locked up in a uh, in confinement uh eating you know uh food that is especially designed for such voyages which is likely not going to be of the gourmet variety uh putting up with uh potentially arguments with your fellow travelers uh, etc so the twin study was just one small speck in the information that one needs uh, before, you know, imparting such a, on such a rigorous, although fantastic journey to go to Mars. And of course we don't know what benefits may come out of uh, all the technology that has to be assembled in order to make that trip happen. You're listening to the Dr. Joe show. We'll check CTV news, see what is going on in the world and we'll be back and talk about some non-sugar sweeteners and uh, recommendations by the World Health Organization to try to stay away from them. We'll take a look to see whether or not that is a legitimate bit of advice. So you're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. <music> Great, a milk emulsified, maltodextrin, silicon, silicodyoxalite, lots of sugar. Hey, all right. Calcified, synthetic salt, artificial barley malt, glycerin, and aspartate, folic acid. that's this great, sodium calciumate, soybean oil. Butterfush. So I was just uh, telling you about my concerns about dietary supplements and about you know the lack of evidence, and nevertheless people are still buying them. I also get irked when uh, just fruits or vegetables are being promoted somehow as superfoods. For example, I just came across a headline, "Watermelons may improve diet quality and cardiometabolic health." And you read this story, this press release, you get the the message that somehow watermelons are really some fantastic Uh, fruit so let me tell you exactly what uh, these researchers did what this was based on they analyzed data from some fifty-six thousand people who had filled out dietary questionnaires, and this is part of the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey uh, in the U.S., which is interesting. Uh, and you know, every couple of years, people ask to fill out these uh, uh, food frequency questionnaires, where you're asked how many times, you know, a week you would eat an apple, hot dog, chips, etc. And as I've said many, many times, these questionnaires are problematic. First of all, because people don't necessarily remember, you know, I mean, are you really sure how many times you would have eaten an apple in the past month? Um, And people are are not very adept at um, identifying amounts. And furthermore, they are not always honest because they will usually tick off foods that they think they should have eaten instead of what they ate so there are certainly problems but you hope that when you have you know 56,000 people that some of those uh, errors will even out so anyway what they found in this particular study that those people who ticked off that they uh, ate watermelon uh, were more likely to have a higher intake of dietary fiber of magnesium of potassium and uh, vitamin a so basically you know they got more nutrients but of course people who eat watermelon are likely to eat other fruits and vegetables as well and uh, controlling for that is is very very uh, difficult so it should not be so surprising that you carry out a survey and ask people about eating watermelon and find that overall their nutritional status is better because they are probably having a better diet, eating other fruits and vegetables as well. Now of course I don't have anything against watermelon I, I like watermelon and uh, you know there's no reason uh, to be suspicious of eating it. actually it has a pretty significant content of lycopene and other carotenoids you know which are um, uh, potentially beneficial for the eyes or as precursors to uh, to vitamin A. but I, I think, uh, just based on such a survey, to, to come up with a headline that watermelons may improve cardiometabolic health, uh, that is an overstatement. I think I'm quite willing to say, and have said so on many occasions, that eating fruits and vegetables is great, and we should be striving to do that, along with some you know whole grains. But... Let's not go down the path of, of, you know, looking at a study whether it's about broccoli or watermelons or, or blueberries or anything, and uh, kind of elevate that food to to uh, a godly status just because there is some information about it showing some benefit in in some um, some fashion. All right now story about the non-sugar sweeteners this of course was all over the news this past week uh, because of the world health organization's recommendation now of course you know as uh, as uh, we've spoken about uh, over the years uh on this show uh non-sugar sweeteners uh, you know have been sanctified by their proponents as an effective means to weight control and also have been vilified by opponents as toxic substances that impair all health and uh you know as is often the case when you you have these kind of uh scientific battles both sides can muster studies uh to try to prove their points and There's such a plethora of studies being published these days. As I just said earlier, you can find a study to back up almost any any, uh, claim that you may have. But anyway, now scientists at the World Health Organization have poured over hundreds of studies and identified the most relevant ones in order to formulate guidelines for the public about the use of such sweeteners. And the cumulative evidence indicates that essentially both proponents and opponents are wrong the who's comprehensive analysis clearly shows that while there may be short-term weight loss when sugar is replaced with these non-sugar sweeteners over the long term there is actually an increased risk of obesity well the short-term effects are due to a reduction of calories because you're replacing sugar which has calories with something that doesn't have calories But the fact is that this cannot be maintained in the long run. And the suggestion is that there's what I like to call the compensation effect. People may put a sweetener in their coffee and reward themselves for this good deed by having a dessert that they may have skipped had they used sugar. The WHO recommendation therefore is that people seeking to lose weight will not benefit from the use of non-sugar sweeteners and they made no distinction between the common ones you know there's asulfate potassium aspartame advantame, cyclamase neotame saccharin sucralose stevia all of these they they put them all into the same category uh, in that in the long term they do not have an effect on weight loss now, many of the opponents of these um, uh, non-caloric, non-sugar uh, sweeteners have claimed risks, especially risk of cancer. But the analysis that was carried out by the WHO researchers did not reveal any such, a, uh, such a effect. So while there's no great benefit to be had from these sweeteners in terms of weight loss, neither is there concerned that they cause cancer, which, of course, that's a theory that has been floated floated by many of the opponents. Now, as for other conditions such as diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease and premature death, well, an association with the use of non-sugar sweeteners was detected. Uh, But, of course, an association cannot prove a cause-and-effect relationship. And reverse causation is a distinct possibility. So what does that mean? people who are at risk for disease are more likely to use non-sugar sweeteners with the belief that these reduce risk therefore the who guidelines advise that such sweeteners not be used with the hope of reducing the risk of non-communicable diseases such as cancer diabetes respiratory ailments or cardiovascular disease so What do we make of all of this? Basically chewing sugar-free gum, using non-sugar sweeteners in your coffee or drinking diet beverages are unlikely to provide any health benefits. The best bet is to reduce added sugar in the diet without replacement by a non-sugar sweetener. That can be done by reducing processed foods, cutting down or preferably eliminating soft drinks, Naturally occurring sugars in fruit and vegetables do not count as added sugar in the diet. Finally, it's important to note that the WHO guidelines point out that while the majority of studies conclude that non sugar sweeteners do not help with weight control and do not reduce risk of disease, not all studies agree. Consequently, the scientists state that the overall recommendation to avoid sweeteners is based on evidence of low certainty. Now, without a doubt, there's going to be a huge backlash from the sweetener industry. And uh, when it comes, we will certainly talk about it. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Well, I still have not been provided with the correct answer to my question about the botanical supplement that smells like horses that was banned in Denmark recently, and other countries are looking at banning it too. So that question is still out there. But I had an interesting comment in a text message uh, about another sort of uh, interesting lawsuit in the US against McDonald's and Wendy's, uh, claiming that they misrepresent their products And the claim asserts that these companies photograph their products when the meat is not yet fully cooked, making them look up to 15% larger than in real life. Uh, This is interesting because as I I think we all know, when you eat at one of these places, what you actually get delivered to you doesn't look anything like in the pictures. Uh, But I mean, obviously they make the pictures look as, you know, as good as they possibly can and a uh, few years ago i did a whole season um of a show on the discovery channel uh, about food where we looked at different foods uh, you know every week it was uh, each episode was about a half hour and you know we looked at pizzas and and various different fruits and and uh, uh, cereals and we always had uh, what they uh, called the food cosmetician along because of course we photographed many of these foods uh, and uh, the, obviously the TV producers wanted them to look good. And so these people know all kinds of tricks on how to make the food look more, uh, more appealing and you know how to prevent it from from degrading or you know melting in front of the uh, cameras and uh, you know when uh they're exposed to a lot of light for example so that was you know quite an eye opener so yeah i know a little bit about this about you know, how they try to make foods look more appealing i don't know whatever uh, would have happened to that uh, that lawsuit uh, but i i think it's it's you know it's pretty obvious that that foods uh rarely look like what they uh, seem to be in the pictures anyway uh someone else wanted to know again It's drew about miracle berries that he saw advertised on shark tank and if i know anything about this yes i do uh, not only do i know about them i've even tried them uh, these are, are berries and they have a interesting natural ingredient that has been called miraculin why because they they miraculously make sour foods taste sweet. And uh, I have um, these little pellets that are extracts of, of, um, of the miracle berry. And the idea is that you eat one of these and then you put some lemon juice in your mouth and you don't taste it as sour. It's interesting. And, you know, I've used it in class as a, a demonstration. Uh, but in terms of uh, commercial, um, uh, items i i i think that they're actually not an allowed food additive in canada or or, or the us miraculin isn't uh, you can sell it as an you know as an extract but you can't incorporate it into other foods so i'm not sure what they were demonstrating on uh, on shark tank but um you know uh, shark tank is an interesting show and i uh, you know i i do like it because they come up with some uh, fascinating uh, novel products. Although, as you know, I've been reading, very few of them actually pan out. Even the ones that on air they agree to give the money to. Um, backstage, you know, there are more discussions about this, and, and often it doesn't really uh, materialize. All right. I also tantalized you at the beginning of the show that I was going to talk about tarantula. So let's finish off with that because these creatures have a fearsome reputation and that was epitomized in the 1955 science fiction film Tarantula in which a town is terrorized by a giant tarantula a classic story of science gone wrong reminiscent of Frankenstein in this case a rogue scientist uses radioactive materials in an attempt to produce a super nutrient that could provide an unlimited food supply for humanity tries it on animals including a tarantula And the unexpected effect is acromegaly, an abnormal growth caused by the overproduction of growth hormone. The experimental tarantula grows to a giant size and seems indestructible until the Air Force launches an attack with napalm and incinerates the monster. In the 1950s, both the fear of radioactivity and the devastating effects of napalm were commonly in the news and the film capitalized on the fear that these generated. Ordinary tarantulas also provoke fear. Sean Connery suffered from arachnophobia to an extent that in a scene in Dr. No, a glass partition had to be used when the tarantula was crawling towards him in the bed. In such films, the impression created is that if you get bitten by one of these arachnoids, you will soon be underway to the undertaker while tarantulas are venomous their venom cannot kill a human getting bitten is not a pleasant experience worse than a bee sting but it's not lethal so let's not elevate these creatures from fearsome threats to humanity to possible saviors from pain australian researchers have discovered that tarantula venom chemically a string of amino acids called a peptide can be modified in the lab to produce a pain-killing substance that may have the efficacy of opiates without the side effect of addiction but you know what it will take a lot more research before this can come to fruition but eventually the results may alter the image that people have of tarantulas And incidentally those stories you may have seen circulating through the social media about a venomous arachneous gluteus spider emerging from public toilets to bite people on the rear it's a total hoax believers are the butt of a joke so look at tarantulas they're interesting creatures um uh, admire them from afar but don't think that if you get bitten uh, you're going to die so there's a lot of uh, nonsense in these kind of science fiction films, uh, often with you know some grain of truth that is extrapolated, uh, you know, beyond uh, what the science actually shows. So that is it for today. You've learned something about non-sugar sweeteners, you learned something about dietary supplements, and you even learned something about tarantulas. We'll be back with more stories, more questions and answers. Same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.